0: All right. What is up, team? Welcome back to the show. It is time for another Q&A. This one is going to be packed. We have a lot of questions, which I'm stoked about. Um, but We're going to do a little bit more rapid fire style this day. Actually, who knows? We'll probably go stupid in depth on all of these questions. But regardless, if you've taken a lot of value from the show, before we get into the questions, do me a huge favor. Take a screenshot of this podcast, share it to Instagram and tag me. First, I want to just connect with you and thank you for listening to the show, but also you're really helping me grow the reach of this show and reach more people. All right, so all that said, let's go ahead and get into the questions. So first question we have is cutting before a vacation slash event details on how to approach length, etc. All right, so when we're setting up a fat loss phase for an online client, we first and foremost start by figuring out, okay, how far, approximately how far from where you want to be are you at currently, right? Like we want to establish first and foremost the endpoint. So if it is like, We can estimate about how much body fat you have to lose then translate that over to, okay, that's approximately this many pounds away. Now, we can't perfectly translate like, okay, you'll lose exactly this many pounds on the scale. We can generally get a good idea of, okay, to get to the goal that you want to achieve, you probably need to lose about X amount of body fat, right? Now, at a realistic, from there, then we have to look to, okay, what's a realistic rate of loss for your goals? So, again, let's say it's someone that we just took through a building phase. So they built a good amount of muscle in the process. And, like, their goal for their physique this year, of course, is to bring their best physique to the table. Let's say this is just, like, a Gen Pop client, like a lifestyle bodybuilder. Um, but still, they want to look lean, defined on the beach, and really be able to show off all the progress that they've made over the last six to eight months of building. Okay, cool. So then – um. We're going to know, okay, so really like an individual like that, we probably don't want to push much much past 1% of body weight loss per week for too long. There is probably an argument to be made for the first couple weeks of the fat loss phase as you're not quite as lean. We can probably push a little bit more aggressively up to one25 to 1.5% of body weight per week um, to initially get fat off of the client a little bit quicker. But then from there, we want to again dial it back to at most 1% of body weight loss per week because if we lose at that rate, like past that rate for too long, then muscle loss is more likely to occur. So from there, again, we know. Okay, so if we look at this target rate of loss, um, let's say again, 1% of body weight lost per week is the upper limit. Then if we have approximately X amount of pounds to lose, so let's say again, this is, let's say this is 150 pound individual. So we know for them, the upper limit that they can lose is 1.5 pounds per week. And we establish that they're probably about 15 pounds away from their um, goal physique, right? So thus we know like, okay, losing at the absolute fastest rate possible, probably like 10 weeks is the bare minimum that we can get this client to that time frame, right? So this helps us like set out the diet timeframes. frames. Now, from there, the thing to realize is, and if you're a coach, you understand this, like things rarely go to the most optimal degree all the time, right? Like life happens, things come up, social events come up, weddings. Um, So we need to work in some buffer time in that area as well. So typically, like with clients, we figure out a range of like a a range for target rate of loss that we want a client to lose in. So in this case, let's say it's like 0.5 to 1% of body weight per week. Typically, what I'll do is take the mid-range of that okay so let's say you're losing about 0.75 percent of body weight per week um from there then we know that okay like at the top end of this range it would have taken you 10 weeks to get to your desired outcome here okay then like losing 0.75 percent of body weight per week we can say it'll probably take another like three weeks and it's probably smart for us to tack two more weeks on top of that and we'll likely like plan on taking at least one to two weeks in maintenance during this and splitting this up into two to separate phases right worst case the client is ready ahead of time you're over prepared and it is like a month before they are where they want to be and it's like hey let's just reverse diet you into this event get you eating more and dope like <laughs> again there's nothing wrong with you being ready early but on the flip side The worst thing, especially when this is like a photo shoot prep, is taking the client or is like planning too short of a time frame. And I think sometimes coaches do this because they don't want clients to potentially leave if they explain like what a long process this is going to be. Like, again, like, oh, that's 16 weeks. That's four months away. Really? Or like, I know a lot of times when we map a photo shoot prep, like one of my clients had literally just mapped out like, okay, here's where your photo shoot is. This is literally a year from now. Here's the plan from now until then. But again, like you have to be willing to play the long game to bring the physique that you want to the shoot, right? Same thing here. So I would rather, again, like overestimate how much time it's going to take and get the client there early than have them not look the way they want, but be a photo shoot, a vacation, whatever. So really that's how we go about reverse engineering it. And then again, we just build the deficit. The deficit is designed around the client's um, target rate of loss. So again, like let's say, okay, we know you want to lose 1% of body weight per week, which for you is uh, 1.5 pounds per week. Okay, we know that currently your maintenance is 2,500 calories, let's say. Okay, so losing 1.5 pounds per week, if we know that eating about 3,500 calories below maintenance equals 1 pound of fat loss, if you do that across an entire week, then we want about 3,500 times 1.5 or to eat about 750 calories on average below maintenance per day. Okay, so your starting intake, again, if your maintenance intake is 2,500, we're probably going to start you right around 1,750. And then, of course, like as your body changes, that's how we adjust the deficit from there. But in a nutshell, that's really how we approach. uh, That's the basics of setting up a fat loss phase. Now, again, of course, like this is very nuanced. This is something that should be very individualized to you as a client. Um, But that's really in a nutshell how to set up a fat loss phase if you are someone that is trying to get lean in the next three to four months all right next question we have is 3,000 milligrams of sodium a day too high so the thing with sodium is first, first and foremost I have to clarify that this isn't like a recommendation to treat anything specific but generally I think that sodium is something that's been a little bit overplayed um the reality is like if you're eating a mostly whole foods diet it is very hard to overdo the sodium then that's like clients we don't have like someone getting ready for a photo shoot like the last couple weeks when we go or like the final week especially when we're in your peak week and you're eating like ideally entirely unprocessed foods typically that's a scenario where um we will see sodium drop if we don't account for that so that's where all clients like be more mindful of sodium but typically like past the point i tell people just salt food to taste again the reality of this is in a healthy individual who doesn't have like blood pressure issues for example there we don't know exactly like what the upper limit should be and also like the blanket number that's thrown out there is typically i believe in the u.s 2300 milligrams of sodium that's said, again like That's like saying that every single person should eat 1,500 calories or 2,000 calories, whatever. Like it varies so much by individual, by body size, et cetera. So really what I would say, if you are eating primarily whole foods, you probably have to try pretty hard to eat too much sodium. Um, So and really like eating a ton of sodium, eating a huge amount of sodium is typically like correlative with, okay, I'm eating a lot of processed foods. And like what I would say in that case so I would really just audit your diet. Hey, am I eating, like, 80 to 90% whole, unprocessed foods, foods that came from the earth, that had a face at one point? Uh, for, again, general recommendation, not a specific, rec- specific prescription, but I would say, like, if that's the case for you, you're probably okay. I can't assign a specific number to this, um, but I would say for most individuals, again, like, Sodium intake is something that kind of naturally autoregulates to where it needs to be when we're eating like a quality nutrient-dense diet. Next question. How important is it to maintain protein during your rapid fat loss phase? Extremely important. Um, out of all the macronutrients here, I would say sodium is probably the one that we want to, or as I say sodium, protein is the one that we want to make sure. And of course, like all your macros are important, but protein is the one that we want to make the biggest priority in a rapid fat loss phase especially because the quicker the rate of loss that we're seeing the more likely muscle loss is to happen now muscle loss is very correlated with your metabolic rate more muscle we lose metabolic rate decreases a bit plus when we lose muscle when you get to the end of that rapid fat loss phase you won't look lean and defined like you want to you'll just like look skinny for lack of better terms right so The amino acids and protein are crazy important for helping your body maintain muscle mass, right? Especially because we know in a fat loss phase, rate of muscle protein synthesis, which is the process of your body turning muscle or dietary protein into muscle is slightly suppressed. And also rate of muscle protein breakdown due to cortisol being elevated in the diet could slightly increase. And these are the kind of these two opposing processes. Now you don't need to think too deeply into that. But the point of this is protein intake just for like the perspective of muscle retention is crazy important. Now past that, um, when we're getting into satiety, if you are under consuming protein, which is the most filling macronutrient, you're probably going to be a lot more hungry and it's going to be a lot harder to adhere to the diet. Finally, from a thermic effect of food perspective, if you want to get as much out of your diet as possible. We know that protein burns the most calories during digestion, right? So if you're under consuming or if you're eating less protein, you'll actually be burning fewer calories through digestion and not like a massive deal. of it's like a 20 grams of protein drop, but still we're burning less calories across the course of the day, week, and month. And every little thing here does add up, especially if you're trying to see the quickest progress possible. So really like how I look at this, if you're n- now i'm not sure exactly where she's coming from here but if you're not willing to like if you want to enter a rapid fat loss phase but you want to like take shortcuts with protein for example there's you shouldn't be in inter- it you shouldn't be doing a rapid fat loss phase again like if it's like hey i don't have to worry about my protein targets um and again i'm not this is not at all i'm not sure where she's coming from with this but important to understand like Well, there are trade-offs with all things. One of the trade-offs for rapid fat loss is, okay, if I want very quick results, I have to accept that it is going to take me being less flexible. Like this protein target, this just has to be a priority. If I'm not willing to do that, that's okay. But you're not a good candidate for rapid fat loss phase. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, Next question we have. Underweight in reverse diet, trying to build muscle. Is 1.4 grams of protein per pound too high? All right. So here is 1.4 grams per protein per pound too high. No, the reality is actually I should say it depends. All right. So we know that, okay, we want to make sure you're getting at least 0.3 to 0.4 grams of fat per pound of body weight. And really what I would say is like first and foremost, typically again, like priority would be, okay, are you eating at least one gram of protein per pound of body weight? Okay. Past that. Then like the next box we want to take is, are you eating and honestly, these are probably on a pretty level playing field. But okay, next, are you eating at least 0.3 to 0.4 grams of fat per pound of body weight daily? Okay, if we can take those two boxes, then we can kind of like add as desired. And really, as that said, most individuals will take the most benefit from increasing carbs more from there. So, what I would say is, well, it's not detrimental. I don't think that it's optimal either, especially like as someone that is trying to um that it is trying to reverse diet and like, hey, I feel like I'm underweight and I'm trying to build muscle. Okay, we know that in the reverse diet, you're probably at the point where, okay, we're actually like right out of maintenance, right? And we're just slowly increasing your maintenance in a reverse diet. Okay, so we know that this being the case, there's not really a need for protein to be past one gram per pound of body weight, right? Um, well, it's fine. You're not gonna get any extra benefits from it either. On the flip side, you will get more benefits from adding more and more carbs. They're going to help your training performance. They're going to help recovery. Carbs will cause – and protein will as well. But carbs will cause insulin to spike, which has an inverse relationship with cortisol, which is somewhat of a catabolic hormone. Now, the devil is in the dose. Like, of course, we want cortisol to be elevated sometimes. Otherwise, we're just not, like, eliciting in enough stress within our training to actually cause new adaptations. But um, here, like, okay, post-training, like, I'm going to have a big bolus of carbs and um this will blunt cortisol and i'll be able to recover sooner right it's kind of like an anti-catabolic effect so the thing here is if you are trying to keep protein super high in a reverse diet it's kind of pushing out more carbs and or more fat that like once you're past that one gram of protein per pound of body weight mark Unless you're someone that just struggles with, like I have a few clients where hunger, even like in a building phase where we're like, okay, for months we've been at the top end of the desired rate of gain, hunger is still high, right? Like some of that's a genetic component. For individuals like that to keep them satiated, we will often feed higher protein, like closer to 1.4 to 1.5 grams per pound of body weight even. But like in a case like this, unless that's the issue, I would say it's not detrimental, but it's... Uh, it could be it'll probably slow your results a bit actually like I would much rather see for most clients like okay we're at one gram of protein per pound of body weight we know that we're set on that carbs and fats are going to give you much more benefits for building muscle past that point now that you're in a surplus than more protein well so that would be my take on that. Next, favorite books about nutrition and strength training. All right, so let me pull up my book list here. I get asked this question so often that I just have this on the list to make sure I can give everybody the best possible answer. All right, so training. Let's start there. I would say, first and foremost, I really, really like the scientific principles of hypertrophy training, which is Renaissance periodization's most recent book on training. Um, how much should I train by Renaissance periodization is also a great one. Uh, there's content around training as a whole hypertrophy training specifically is so good. Um, and of course we have to mention the muscle and strength pyramids by Eric Helms, Andy Morgan, and Andrea Valdez. I believe it was just those three. Um, another book that's excellent, really past that point. There's not a lot currently, at least there is not a lot. Of books on training they really stand out to me that i've consumed um man yeah like bodybuilding by cliff wilson and peter fishing is a good one but they don't go too deep into the realm of training i've read a ton of books on training but like looking at my bookshelf now those are the ones that really stand out um and a lot of those are ebooks also (laughs) but those are the ones that really stand out um as far, I, I would say with training, like the thing that's been the most valuable, the most helpful for me has actually been hiring coaches, like following people on social media. Of course, like the finding the people that I want to learn from that seem like they have a unique but smart method of doing things that I don't fully understand yet and hiring them to coach me. Really, I think like the best way to learn a, a smart method or like learn something new is to actually hire someone to take you through it. Um, So. As far as training goes, I would say really, like, more than anything, that is how I've learned the most. Um, yeah. Now, as far as nutrition goes, a couple good ones. Again, we have to throw the Muscle and Strength Pyramids, the nutrition edition out there. The Women's Book by Lyle McDonald is a very good one. Very dense, but another very good book. Um, Fat Loss Forever by Lane Norton bodybuilding once again by cliff wilson and peter Fishen. if we're talking about like how to get absolutely shredded um is another very good one by the way check out the podcast with peter Fishen from last week as well where we literally talked through that process um those would really be though again like my top recommendations another i liked the book wired to eat by rob wolf quite a bit as well definitely like more from a it's not quite as heavy on like the science of macros and things of that nature as the others that I mentioned, but definitely from like how we think about food and like a more holistic approach to food. It's a very interesting one. I, I enjoy that one a lot as well. Um, Yeah, those would really be my recommendations for training and nutrition books. But again, like what I would say there is the thing that's taught me the most has been actually hiring nutrition coaches that I wanted to learn from. And again, like there's no, there's no better way to learn in the process of physique transformation than be coached through the process of physique transformation by someone that has an impeccable knowledge of it, right? Like there's a difference between like learning something in a textbook and especially like speaking to other coaches, like there's a difference between learning something in a textbook and actually being able to apply it to other individuals. And really I found, at least for me personally, the best way that I learn is by first like seeing what it's like when these, these principles, these methods are applied to me, and like watching my physique change, like how, okay, how do I feel? Like that's something I was talking, I just posted my client, Paul's transformation the other day, right? And like a conversation we've had so many times is like, he'll be like in this place and it's like, I can get such a good insight into his mindset because I've been exactly where he's at, right? And I've like gone through this process and have that exact same struggle I'm like, yo, here's like, here's like what, like not even like uh like, Hey, here's this macro tweak we need, but rather like, yo, here's this mindset shift. Like I know where you're at. Here's what we have to do to work through this. And like, that's the value of having lived this yourself as a coach. Um, That's that I don't think this is a coach is asking the question. So might not be super relevant, but regardless, hopefully you took value from that. All right. So next question that we have here, one moment is how do you set calories for recomp? All right. So as far as a body recomposition goes, typically we have... I'd like to call this the body recomposition trinity. So basically we have a couple different most common scenarios where people recomp. First most common scenario is, or the most common that we see within only coaching anyways. So first is like what most would typically consider a body recomposition. You lose fat, you build muscle at the same time. So here typically body weight stays relatively similar, but your measurements and visual appearance are going to be drastically different. Um, Now, we most often see this in individuals that either A are newer to following a smart, well structured training program, B have followed a smart training program or had more muscle in the past, but have quote unquote fallen off the wagon in the last six to 12 months, or are CrossFitters or Avid, Avid Orange Theory slash F45 type trainees who really allow us to take over their programming two to three days per week. And typically we'll program in some just like a bodybuilding or functional bodybuilding style of the training. And voila. They make gains, right? Now, you likely wouldn't consider individuals who are capable of undergoing this variation of recomposition, quote unquote, out of shape. But they also often complain of not looking the part for someone who trains as much as they do. Next, we have so like situation number two is where you gain weight, but body fat stays the same or at the very least, um, the amount of muscle gained is larger than the amount of body fat gained. Now here, this often happens to individuals who have been within the online coaching process for at least three to six months and maybe have already completed a fat loss phase. Now here, the next step is typically entering a building phase where we focus on keeping fat gain to a minimum and building lean muscle. So to kind of like understand why this can still be classified as a body recomposition, let's say you currently weigh 140 pounds, you have 30 pounds of fat and 110 pounds of lean mass. So your body fat percentage is 22%. Over the next six months of a building phase, let's say you add 10 pounds of lean muscle. So you in the process weighing 150 pounds, you have 30 pounds of fat and 120 pounds of lean mass. Your body fat percentage is now 20%. So despite not actually losing a single ounce of fat, your body fat percentage is lower and you'll look much leaner. Now, again, this most often happens to individuals who have never gone through a proper building phase before. Now, again, the thing to realize here is like that, hey, you didn't gain a single ounce of fat. It's probably unrealistic. But again, the thing to realize is if our rate of gain outpaces, our rate of muscle gain outpaces, our rate of fat gain, body fat percentage is still going to decrease and your physique will still be improving here. Um, Now, finally, and really like the biggest thing here is so why I'm digging so deep into this is because it depends whether we're around maintenance, in a deficit or in a surplus. And then finally, the the final scenario here is you build a smaller amount of muscle and you lose a lot of fat. So this scenario is most common for individuals who have been following a smart training program for quite some time, but have been neglecting their nutrition and have a decent amount of body fat to lose. So in situations like this, we can often create better recovery and thus more muscle growth by getting your nutrition dialed in. But if you've already been following a smart training program for quite a while, really the ceiling for the amount of gains you can make while also losing fat is going to be a bit lower than someone who hasn't been following a smart training strategy. But the thing to realize here is for individuals like this, getting leaner will do wonders as far as uncovering all the muscle you've worked so hard to build over the last few years. And I know like for me personally, this is exactly what happened when I did my first photo shoot. Um, So like very much, I built a bit of muscle in the process. But more than anything else, it was I got a lot leaner. And again, rather than like maintaining or even losing a bit of muscle – I actually built, or excuse me, I built a tiny bit, but again, mostly I got a lot leaner, but that made my body composition look dramatically different. I just wasn't lean enough to show all the muscle that was kind of under the surface there, so to speak. So really we can kind of break this down into two different camps, right? Our clients will kind of fall into two different camps. We have one, someone who mostly wants to build muscle with a bit of fat loss on the side. Um, again, this is, Really, typically, the individual who's already relatively lean, maybe quote unquote skinny fat, or sometimes the client who is already good with their nutrition but just hasn't been following a smart training program until now. So, since eating more calories is going to be more conducive to muscle growth, we'll keep this individual around maintenance. And really, I would say rather than maintenance, just in a slight surplus, about five to 10%. And this will be more conducive to muscle growth. But again, keep that gain to a minimum. Now, here we'll look for a very slow rate of weight gain, about 0.25% of body weight per week and or positive me- measurement shifts and improvements in strength on the compound lifts in the 5 to 15 rep range. So here what I would say, because like, like one of my clients, Eric, comes to mind, someone who had a crazy recall of the first about six months that we worked together, and now we've transitioned him more to a pure building phase. But for him, weight stayed nearly the same for literally those first six months. But hunger was low. Training performance was good. He was consistently hitting PRs. And we were seeing his body composition change like crazy. Measurements were shifting for the positive. Progress pictures were showing insane progress. So that is someone where, again, like, we know he was losing fat and he was building muscle. Um, So there we weren't too worried about, like, Okay, hunger is low, again, like performance is good. So we're, we're not too worried about necessarily feeding you more. But again, he did start to hit a wall where, um, again, around like the five to six month mark where, okay, now uh, hunger is still low, but performance isn't as good. Recovery isn't as good. Okay, so now we are going to get more aggressive because he kind of passed like that window to where he could recomp. Now we're going to get more aggressive when we need to you into pure building phase. So there again, I would say typically about a 5 to 10% surplus aiming for about 02 to 0.4% of body weight gain per week is a good rule of thumb for most, but also look at those other metrics. Then secondly, on the other hand, we have a client who mostly wants to lose fat with a bit of muscle gain on the side. Now this is an individual who already has a decent amount of muscle, but needs to get leaner in order to quote unquote, look the part have someone who lifts as much as they do, which is really like where most of the clients come on board with us. So since we do need a calorie deficit, aka you need to eat fewer calories than you burn in a day, a week, whatever the time frame is we're looking at for fat loss. Here, we'll set these clients up in a slight deficit, about 10 to 20%. And really here, the goal is to lose about 0.5% of body weight per week. 0.5 to 0.75% of body weight is kind of like the cap that I like to see for a recomp. Because again, the more aggressive we get, a uh, recomposition is such a fine line between... um between like, okay, are we creating a large enough deficit to lose fat? Without this deficit being so large that you're just underfueled in your training, you can't recover, and thus we can't build muscle. So it is very much a fine line, but that is typically the approach that I take when it comes to setting calories for recomp. All right, next question: Would you program barbell work for a garage jammer who doesn't have many dumbbells but wants hypertrophy? Absolutely. Um so I think the context of this conversation might be, there's absolutely nothing wrong with barbell work. I think, I know Chaz and I, a couple of weeks ago, talked about this idea that, hey, we pr- we've we been using a lot more like dumbbells, machines, et cetera, for hypertrophy work specifically lately, because a lot of times barbells will somewhat limit you. That said, again, like, this is very much like a, okay, so like when quarantine started, um... A lot of our clients were literally lifting wine bottles, weighted backpacks with like added band resistance. Now, is that optimal? No, absolutely not. But can we still apply attention to the target muscles and get the client to grow with training like that? Absolutely. And they did. So again, it's rather than like, okay, this might not be the most optimal, but like here we know, especially if they don't have very many dumbbells, they're probably just going to have to do a lot of barbell work. Like a great example of this is my client, Dave. Shout out to you, Dave. Um, (laughs) <laughs> he is someone who has like a couple dumbbells but primarily he has a squat rack he has a pull-up bar he has a um, barbell with plenty of weight he has like dumbbells from 5 to 20 and a bench right and bands now is a pretty jacked dude he's strong so like past movements like lateral raises some dumbbell curls we're really pretty limited with like what he can do with the Dumbo. So the reality is for him, we still program a lot of barbell work. Now, again, like there are some considerations. So like with Dave, like his shoulder has been a little bit beat up from barbell pressing. And that's like some people will fall in like, case. Hey. so like, hey, the thing was like with a barbell, we can still do like, okay, so we can have you literally like put a tennis ball on one end of this, stick it in the corner, and all of a sudden we have a landline. Cool. So we can do like T-bar rows. We can do landline presses. Um, we can still do like dumbbell deficit pushups, incline dumbbell deficit pushups, all these things. Like there's still a lot on the table. It's very much just like when it, we're saying there are some movements that might be more optimal with a dumbbell, right? Like if we look at like a dumbbell bench press versus a barbell bench press, and this depends on the individual, but for many of the dumbbell, dumbbell press will probably be slightly more optimal because they can, you can manipulate your hand position, um, elbow position, things a lot more. We can typically get a greater range of motion, a bit more of a stretch on the chest at the bottom, and thus we can sometimes get a better hypertrophy stimulus out of the movement. That said, like we can easily get too caught up in that, and like you can absolutely still train with <laughs> very effectively from with barbells. So absolutely, what I would say here is I was still this program on. I was still focused on primarily variations of squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull. Um, of course be smart, like work in some unilateral work and you can still even work in like single arm work, um, single arm rowing, like a meadows row again, like a single arm landmine row. There are so many different variations still like this doesn't, this by no means does like them only having a barbell mean that they can only do like bilateral, like both legs or both arm work at the same time, which is really like too much of that is often where the issues with barbell work lie outside of like potential restrictions on range of motion so it is like the beauty of a barbell is that it is very versatile so really no absolutely long answer short I would still program a good amount of barbell work as needed I would say next how do you determine how often to deload someone and how do you program the RIR if longer than five weeks all right so typically what I've found with the progression scheme that we typically run um I have yet to find a client that, after five weeks of training in the manner that we do, doesn't need to deload. Now, I know that with. Okay, so like on the flip side, if we look at someone that's like consistently training at 2RIR, so like Brian Miner, um, when he hopped on the podcast to talk about like how they progress things, one of the methods that he laid out is like through every week of your mesocycle, you're more or less at 2RIR, right? And then. When we start to really see fatigue set in, so really, and I I would say one of the biggest things here is like, you're not really probably one of the biggest signs is you're not able to progress within your training, right? So all of a sudden, like things start to stall out a lot more Then, like in a situation like that for most people, okay, we know that it's probably time to deload. So like, Hey, I've been consistently at least like one of my three sets across the week for like my bench press let's say I've consistently across this mesocycle for the last 7 weeks been able to add a rep or add a bit of weight. Okay, all of a sudden that stalled out and I'm you'll see a pretty strong trend across a lot of your movements. Okay, that's a good sign that it is time to deload. Um from there like we can also look to you will literally just start a few more smash and I would say one of the best one of the best signals that it's time to deload is motivation to go to train starts to drop. Now, again, like take this with a grain of salt, because if you're someone that just doesn't really enjoy training, you're probably not ever going to feel extremely motivated to, or you need to start following a smarter training program. You should probably hire a coach because they'll make you love training. At least I know all our clients fall in love with their training. So what I would say there is, again, like if motivation to train starts to dip, that's probably, that's almost the single best sign that it's probably time to deload. Now, again, like we don't want to look at that, that that is just, okay, it's just one day um i don't it's just like one day of not motivation or low motivation okay that could just be anomaly right but if it's like consistently across three to four days and like all other things in your life be normal so also consider that like if stress is super high you probably won't be as quite as motivated either um so like we need to, but that could be another sign again like and even then like all your stress goes into the same bucket. So if it's like training and stress isn't necessarily super high, but my additional life stress versus where it was before has caused motivation to dip again, like, Hey, we still need to deload from the stress. What be it like your body doesn't differentiate between training stress and life stress, right? Like they all go in the same bucket that we have to recover from. So really motivation to train is one of the best metrics to look at here. Um, and then typically sleep can start to be disrupted like right before we need a deload. And then even like joints, like when people's joints are starting to feel a bit more beat up, um, then it, and like not all clients get to this point, but the reality is like some clients that are training five to six days per week, it is a little bit more common. And then again, it's like, okay, we know it's probably about time for us to take a D-load. Those are typically the things that I look for. All right team, and that is all I have for y'all for today. Now, if you need expert coaching, reaching your physique goals, click the link, in the show notes to apply for coaching with our team and again that is all i have for y'all for now as always thank you for tuning in